0: Hello, my friends. Welcome to The Great Crino Show. Welcome, everyone, to The Great Crino Show, where we talk to experts, people with unique experiences, and become better critical thinkers, and improve our lives, guaranteed. All right, before we begin, you know the five things I'm going to ask you to do scroll to the bottom of your podcast app. Give me a five-star rating and friendly comment. Also go to gregcarino.com, scroll to the bottom of that and put your email and subscribe to my newsletter. I'll have those coming out about once a week for you. Email your friends, have them do the same thing. And finally, share the show on social media. So I'm on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn are the big ones. So when you see those announcements come out, if you could share those with your friends and help me grow the show. And last, if you have any ideas of the show or you have a guest who wants to come on, uh, email me at show at gmail.com. All right. In today's episode, we have Navy combat veteran William Doc Black. Will was a line corpsman in Iraq from 2004 to 2006. He actually served with the Marines during that time, the 2nd Marine Division, and saw heavy combat, a lot of trauma from that incident or that deployment, and he dealt with a lot of grief and PTSD issues, and he actually had a, a suicide attempt, so it's very uh, tragic. Happily, he's made it, though, and what helped helped him make it was the folks at Warrior's Heart. So Will was a Warrior's Heart alumni and became a board member where he is now. So he has a lot of good, good lessons learned from his experiences. I think you're going to love this show. So if you want to follow Will, you can do so. And you can learn more about Warrior's Heart at warriorsheart.com. And with that, here he is, Will Black. All right, man, how you been? Pretty good. You know, life's good. Yeah, where where are you out of right now? Where are you coming from? So I just moved to um, Fayetteville, Tennessee. Oh, okay. All right. It's nice out in Tennessee. I think a lot of people from California are moving out there. <laughs> yeah,
1: there there actually are. My my wife's from California and it's they're always asking us, like, wait, where do you go in Tennessee? You know, what's the place? Yeah. And it's like, well, it's Tennessee. All of it's pretty good. You got
0: waterfalls and nature and yeah. some hills. Yeah, it is nice. I drove through there. It's been about ten years, but I drove through that Tennessee, Kentucky area yeah. in the springtime, and it was just beautiful. The rolling hills, the horses, like it was like a postcard. Right you know, with the, the white fences. And I was like, man, I, I never knew this place existed. I never yeah. knew it was this beautiful Yeah. <laughs> secrets out now though. That's right. Everybody knows. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Well, cool. Uh, so William doc black, do you go by doc or William or how do you, so it, I mean, Will usually, uh, you know, uh, well, all right. a- anytime, you know, military
1: friends, I always, you know, they'll hit you with a doc just out of uh, just habit, I guess. But um, Yeah.
0: For the most part, yeah. It's you know, just it's, all
1: Will these days.
0: Yeah, I was like, well, why do they call him Doc? And I was like, oh, shit, look at his bio, you idiot. Right. <laughs> uh, well, let's get into that. So, from warriorsheart.com, or is it Warrior Heart? Is it Warriors? Warrior's or Warrior? Heart, Did yeah. It? Warriorsheart.com. All right. So, U.S. Navy medic, Iraq veteran from 2004 to 2006, right during the tough time. Yeah, it was, it was a um, rough, Yeah. rough little bit. So, yeah, yeah. I, I
1: just, I guess I just, I, I was older when I joined the military. Nine eleven had just happened. And ironically, I had this thing where I, you know, my dad was an army guy. And so I wanted to join the army, but I wanted something more. So I was looking at like army rangers and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then I started thinking more and more about it. And I just had this like, this weird calling, right? And I just wanted to be a medic. So people were like, well, why didn't you join the army medics? And it was... I don't know the the Marine Corps Navy uh, situation there with Corman just seemed I don't know it just had some something to it it just really yeah right? it, it just felt and it felt like a calling and I just that's what I wanted to do and I signed up at 24
0: <laughs> and joined a fight you know yeah yeah I mean that was a big time to to join for a lot of guys I mean you joined at the time when you knew what you were getting into and it was going to be dangerous. You know, I joined before that when it was, you know, nineties and it was like, Oh, I'm not going to go to war. Right. And, uh, you know, of course that changed, but so yeah, hats off to you. You know, just a real small, uh, connection here. My dad was a U.S. Navy corpsman. Nice. Enlisted. Yeah, he was, he was, yeah, he was, uh, never went to combat. He was pre Vietnam. He was there from like 1962 to 64, 65 somewhere. Yeah. I was enlisted, uh, Navy corpsman and That's super um, cool. Got out. Yeah. I got out and then he was a reservist during the very beginning of Vietnam. So he never actually went over there. And then he came back to the, when he came back to the U S he became an embalmer. So he was still around doing yeah. bodies. Right. And then he became a cop. Yeah, then he became a cop after that. So it just kind of dawned on me that around the same age as you, when he was doing that job, of course, under far different conditions and yeah. you, you saw the shit. So we'll get into that, but Uh, So cool, man. So like why? So there's something to it. You wanted to like more save people or or fight or was it kind of both?
1: I I think for me, like I I think anybody who's actually weighed out the things, you know, to uh, to take another's life is it's a big deal. And it's something I think that you should, you know, if if that's what you choose, I think you really need to weigh on that as much as you can. And and of course, as a Navy corpsman, it's. I mean, I spent mine my, my entire time with just straight up infantry, right? And so you're not exempt from that. You, you know, you are. You're on a you know fire team. You're in uh, a, a you know right at the right there with them. So it's not as common, I guess. And I guess it's situational, right? Nobody picks if you're going to get into some stuff or not. It's it's kind of luck of the draw type stuff. But I, I think for me, I just really felt I'm a. A very calm and collected person, and uh, i'm very much a humanitarian right and that felt like more where I wanted to be you know the brotherhood and things like that meant uh, a lot to me, and I would just rather be on the, the healing side of things uh, yeah as much as you can
0: yeah i mean that's uh i mean there's a great honor in that and there's actually very few people who i think do that it's it's certainly a unique situation and you're a unique individual going into that. I mean, most people think military, I'm going to go there and, you know, bomb shit and shoot shit. <laughs> right. And you're indirectly participating in that by helping our guys, Sure. but then you're saving them too. So it's kind of a, a unique personality to say like, I'm going to throw on the uniform, grab a weapon. But at the same time, my primary mission is to go out there and, you know, jump in the line of fire and throw tourniquets on and, you know, do emergency surgeries or whatever you, you had to do. Sure. So, yeah, you're a unique personality in that way. So that's pretty cool.
1: Well, and it's funny because, you know, your perspective on things like really changes through through stuff. And Corman has a lot of crazy dynamics, right? So you can look at like running and gunning is like preventative medicine, you know, <laughs> which, you know, that's kind of in a joking way. But I mean, sometimes that's the case, right? And then there's the other dynamic, right, where, you know, not everybody who is a victim of war is necessarily a bad guy or a good guy, right? Some people just get hurt as bystanders right and yeah you can't really feel well you shouldn't feel a type of way about giving and rendering aid because that is the you know that's what you're there to do it's it's not always yeah. just you know as clean cut as like oh we got to take care of just marines you know because you don't get to turn your head and uh you know ignore the other half of that whether it be even yeah. enemy
0: combatants right that's true life is life that's true I know that's a, that's another um, aspect to this that I want to get into before I do that r- though, real quick. So you were in the Navy, but you were attached to the the second Marine division. I guess that makes sense. I yeah. mean, the Navy is going to be attached to the Marines. Okay. So there wasn't anything um, too different about your administrative position. I mean, no. So, they, okay.
1: And I wasn't, I didn't spend like a hundred years in this and doing it. I don't know that, um, I could offer you a true, real perspective of it. My my career was short, which I signed this like weird, uh, I think it was like a national call to service contract. So it was like this weird, like three year, five year thing where it was like you did th- like three years active essentially because of the training and then like two years reserve or, or what, I don't even remember what it was, but it was shorter and more condensed than your standard five year enlistment. So, okay. So Corman okay. signed five years because the training is so intense, they won't, Get a four-year contract, so they won't get their money's worth out of you. Essentially, so right, right. I would report to like a BAS, right, uh, and I would be there with other Navy corpsmen, right. And then you would just run your sick call. You would do your PT. I mean, when you're like on a line company, I mean, you just kind of do grunt shit, and that's like your job, <laughs> you know. And you do yeah. their shots, their uh, their medical records, their PT, their you know range days, it just. Nor you know normal stuff and get them ready, yeah. keep them ready uh, and healthy for deployment and all all that kind of workup stuff. And I, there again, I missed a lot of that stuff because uh, I just uh, I went out as a combat replacement. So mm-hmm. I, you know, and and from my understanding, it's like it's
0: a okay that I missed all that, <laughs> you know, because it's like a lot of paperwork yeah. and stuff that nobody wants to do anyway. So uh, again, I want to I I kind of skipped over it, but it was post nine eleven when you got in. Did you? Join the military because of 9-11? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Can you just describe that? I mean, I'm sure it's a story we've heard many times. You saw the towers go down. And was it like an immediate thing? Or was it something that you thought about over time? Did you take friends input? Or was it like, dude, I'm fucking going? Like, how did you uh, no, it, come it, about that?
1: I felt so helpless, right? I felt like uh, I was moving on with my life and becoming a, a, a young husband and, and looking at kids. And it was and our country kind of, it just felt unsafe all of a sudden. You know what I mean? We'd lived in this security blanket and, you know, we don't really have a tax on American soil. It's just, it was this new thing. And so uh, I immediately went with like the, what I felt like was easing into it, where it was like, okay, I'll join the National Guard. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you know what I mean. Yeah. And then the just more I thought about it, I, and I've always said this: I don't do anything half-hearted. Like I'm in it or I'm not in it. it. That's just how I am, and that's how I function as a person. So every time I start making those like those small little steps, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do it that way. I, I just can't as a person. Yeah. So that's where it started. You know, it was like, well, I'm going to do National Guard, and then it was like.
0: like, what am I doing? Well, no, I'm probably just
1: going to be like an army ranger. And then I'm like, ah, you know, and then I started to research it, you know, and then the more I dug, I was like, I I feel like this is where I'm going. This is what my calling is. This is my thing. So you had kids in a while. No, I didn't have, oh. uh, I was married, but, you know, oh. I was 24, but, you know, you, when you're young like that and in a young marriage, you know, you, you know, it's the the standard thing. Yeah. You buy a house, you get dogs, you get kids, you, you know, so I didn't have any, but I had thought about it. You know, I did have huh. a, a niece at the time and she was very young. She was raised by my sister who was a single mother her whole life. And so it was, you know, it's a little bit about her as well. You know, yeah, it just felt, I don't know. I just really felt compelled.
0: Yeah, so then you join and you go through training, and then can you describe the combat replacement aspect? I've actually never heard of that before. What so that's that is. a
1: yeah, that's a crazy thing, and that's an incredibly difficult thing. So I attached to Third Battalion, Twenty Fifth Marines, who got incredibly uh, unlucky, or yeah. Uh, it, it, and it's funny because you can read the articles like we they ran mission after mission and they were called, you know, they were called Lucky Lima at one time. Um, oh, it's
0: kind of and, like easy company from World right. War II and, and they were just
1: deal. and they were just smashing it and getting it done. And, you know, for being so highly operational, they, you know, didn't sustain like it, it wasn't, you know, didn't sustain so many casualties and things. And then it's like the luck just ran out. And it just got real bad real fast. So, uh, in that time, there were several incidents. And, you know, if you're going out as a combat replacement, it means that, you know, guys are getting pulled out. Whether it's, you know, casualty or you, whatever oh, it see. is, right? So, okay. I, I just attached to these guys who had all the experience and I had none, right? I okay. literally flew into Kuwait, went to al Asad Air Base and, you know, that... <laughs> They always say, you know, you got like a week of acclimation or like, I don't even remember what it was supposed to be. I didn't get anything. I got, I just went straight out to a fob, like two days oh turned around. God. And so I didn't know anything and it, and it I'll never forget it because you, it's one of those things. It's like, you're aware, right? But, and you have some kind of uh, idea of what things are like, are going to be like, but the, and I don't care how many war movies, I don't care how many war books. I don't care how many war stories, until you're sitting there and it's your experience, none of it matters.
0: Yeah, yeah, good point.
1: So, uh, I was at a rolling out to a fob and we went through TC1 and, you know, a small firefight broke out immediately. I've been in country for, <laughs> you know, what's TC1? Uh, Traffic Circle One, uh, out in
0: and heat, Iraq, which is spelled hit, it's pronounced heat. I don't know. Oh, is that a location then, TC1? Yeah. Okay, so you were stationed near there, or is that the name of the FOB? Uh, I don't know what it was. I guess it was called FOB Heat, yeah. But
1: I think there were two. One okay. was a schoolhouse, and okay. the other one was like, we called it the YMCA. But yeah, and so you like to just be part of that and literally have been in country for 48 hours, 72 hours, somewhere in that, you know what I mean? It just kind of all ran together, and it was just crazy real all of a sudden. And uh, you know I'm a pretty calm, collected person, and you know I'd really thought about like, y- you know, I'd really thought about this. I'm like, you could be killed, you could be maimed, you could be like, and there's a lot of wars, serious, right? There, people yeah. will try to kill you, right? And, and and you try to take that with the actual magnitude that it is, and uh, yeah, when sh- shit hits the fan, you're like, okay, this is like, like really real, and in it, you know, you have that like crazy adrenaline, you have that crazy fear, you have that. You have
0: so many things. It's everything at it once, which so I when think. You, when, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. When you first check on the base, so you fly into Kuwait, you probably take a C-130 or whatever mm-hmm. up to somewhere in Iraq. And then do they land you right at your post or did you have to take a helicopter from there or a Humvee? Like, how did you finally yeah. get to your combat location? Convoyed out I from an know. air base. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it was like feet to the fire, like immediately. And it's yeah, hot and convoys, right? <laughs> oh, you got there in the summertime too. Oh, even oh, better. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like 120 every day. And it was unreal. Yeah. Did you, you know, I, you probably felt the same way, but I remember just when I first entered the military, this is like 1993. And I just felt this overwhelming loss of control. Like I had no choice and no freedom. <laughs> right. I never had that sense before. And, but then I quickly got over it, you know, you get friends and I was not in a combat environment. And so it was pretty easy once you get comfortable. The second time I felt that overwhelming loss of control was shortly after 9-11, maybe it might've been like a year later when our squadron commander brought us in and said, Hey guys, we're going to be going to invade Iraq now. And this was well before, this might've been like late 02, early 03. And I was like, Rack, like, and it kind of caught me by surprise. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what's going on? Why are we doing this? Anyway, we ended up not being the squadron that went. It was a different squadron. But yeah, I can imagine when you're actually there and you're like, I have no choice now. I can't just leave. I right, not can't like a quit. party. I can just take <laughs> off and go. There's, right. no, there's no quitting now. Nope. And uh, you know, you're pretty young at that point and you're getting thrown right in there. And there's shooting going on. I mean, how long did it take you to kind of settle into the mindset? Like, okay, I, I, I'm not going to die right now. Like I can actually handle this. Did it take a couple of days? I mean, what was that like?
1: I don't know. I always say a week and I don't know because, because I don't know if everything, like you, you lose track of everything. You, You know what I mean? So like as a corpsman, uh, like you've got, uh, three squads, right? And that's just standard. So each squad will go out one time a day, but you're going out three. So your day is, is full and, and you lose track of everything. And and so I say a week and I'm not uh I'm not an ego person uh, or scared to not be a man or anything because uh, I'm scared. I was terrified. This was yeah. real. This is a real deal. I, I was scared for my life. I was scared for my peers. I was scared. Uh, if I was going to be able to save these people, I was, I had a lot of fears and they all hit at once. You you know what I mean? No matter how confident. And it was like, man, I know my job. I'm so good at my job, but it'll rattle you. And and it is, it's muscle memory. You know, the military trains you for that. And when it does happen, you're there, you're on it. You don't got to think about shit. You just do it. But yeah, anytime that I had the opportunity to to get my big brain in the way, there, there was some reservation and fear. And then after like, you know, you kind of get, uh, incoming so much and uh, these little small skirmishes. And, you know, just, when you're in one of those cities that's being pushed, like shit's blowing up like all the time. Either it's controlled debt or an IED or, you know, because there's full patrols everywhere. And it, you become accustomed to that environment. And I, I remember just thinking, uh not that I like believed it, but it, it was like this peaceful acceptance that none of us may make it out of here. And yeah, whatever's going to happen is just going to happen. And I'm just going to do the best I can in between. And and once I hit that part, it was like it, you know, it wasn't so nerve wracking. It was like, yeah, it's just the way it is. It sounds defeatist, but it's really not like that. It's like a piece with it. It's yeah, just what you got to do.
0: I've heard that from a number of people who've had some serious combat is that you do get to that point of I've not heard it phrased the way you have phrased it, but I, I like that a lot. Like uh, the peaceful acceptance that this is my life, and it could end here, and I'm at peace with who I am, and so so be it. And then you just kind of move on um, with with your life right, and just let and, it go. Yeah, and it kind of makes you settle in, uh, but it does take a little while. But yeah, the, the one week <laughs> thing—I've not heard that's a, that's a good advice there, actually, for people going into these situations right so can you kind of describe your first experience uh, with when somebody was brought in and you had to save a life i mean how did that go and you know how did you get through that well
1: you have like so the thing that uh i always hate that like uh that really gets uh kind of tossed to the side is like when your combat operational stuff just happens right people fall off buildings people get hit heat stroke i had a guy he was standing up and he he stretched up the a t four strap to you know uh, readjust it on his back, and he had a flashbang and it it popped in his face essentially oh dude it, yeah that and you know not fatal or anything, but you know stuff just happens uh people you know, you got incoming people you know hit the deck and and tear stuff or so you have that kind of stuff that goes on, you know not everything's uh you know traumatic amputation or a gunshot or you know things like that so you know, it's like you kind of got to ease into some of that, but then you mm. would get those, like IEDs are the big one, right? It's like almost yeah. never well, yeah, gunshots like rare, right? Because you're kitted out and they don't they don't want to fight. You know what I mean? They want to booby trap and, and, and all that. So it's mostly like oh, good um, point. all the IED stuff. They don't want to stand up fire, fight, you know, if they can take you know, small shots and think they can get something, that's kind of what you get. But for the most part, yeah. I mean, obviously we're very equipped to do firefights, right? We're good at it. (laughs) Very well versed, you know, So that's, that's not the fight
0: they want, you know? Well, yeah, that's the point I was going to make is that the fight you expect or the fight that you want is almost always not the fight you're going to get. Nope. And it's not going to be like you're a medic. So it's a little bit different from the scenario, but there was the scene in the, what was the Chris Kyle Movie, I forget uh america was it American I Sniper. It American Sniper like yeah, yeah his first kill, they did a scene on that where he had to shoot a woman who was charging the uh, the Humvees. And I guess it was she might have been like a suicide bomber or whatever. Yeah. And she had like her kid next to her, and or maybe it was the kid that charged. I don't know. He's the woman of the kid, and he shot her, and it was a legitimate shot, yeah. but then the scene afterwards. Everybody's like, hey, man, congratulations. He's like, and he wasn't feeling very good about it. He's like, that's just not the way I expected it to go down. He's right. like, and, and I think that's the number one people number one thing people need to realize going into combat. It's not going to be like the easy kill where it's like the bearded guy who's coming after you with the AK-47, you know, shouting, you know, and he's got a nice uniform on. Your first kill or your first injury that you're fixing or whoever, right? it may, it may be that kind of gray area. It might be a woman. It might be the children. It might be an enemy combatant that you have to, right protect or that and, you have to save and you and you don't feel good about it. Yeah. Right. And so that was uh a lot of that too. So there was a
1: whole process and I don't remember the process, but vehicles weren't supposed to come near patrols, right? And so it was like uh you're supposed to flag them down. Uh and I don't know why the marine corps has never had a warning shot <laughs> policy, but ever you know there was for for in the city limits for cars and stuff. And it was like a flashbang, and then like a warning shot and then a kill shot. Right. So a lot of times you, you're banding it up taxi drivers who just aren't paying attention. Oh, dude. And that sucks. That's just, yeah. uh, you know, that's just part of it. And, and the thing is like, it, it, and it's so easy, I think, for a lot of people to like look at that and be like, well, it, you know, why are you shooting innocent people? And it's like, look, <laughs> you don't know ever don't at any know. given time who, who's good and who's bad. It's not like they're wearing uniforms. It's not like they're, this is an entirely different, you don't know what's what. So every time somebody asks me about it, I always tell them like, well, next time you're in a big city and people are just living their life, I want you to think about that and think about you going through that city completely armed with you know, 13 other of your boys and you're supposed to peace keep and find bad guys. It, and because you, yeah. you can't tell, and and there's buildings, it's stressful. There's there high points, low points, like yeah. alleyways, stair like it, you you know it's just nerve wracking, and uh, yeah, it's just not as cut and dry as you would think. You know, it's not these like stand up fights. Um, so yeah, yeah it. And I, I think that was my first, I believe it was a taxi driver at a gunshot wound. And, and we just, you know, we back them out. You know, that's our primary thing. Because it's like, hey, we we'll stabilize them. Then we get the nine line, dust off, pick them up, send them out. And that's one of those things where it's like, okay, because you're like, hey, they were alive when they were on the bird. Uh, it kind of helps yeah. you sleep at night. But like when it's your guys, it's different, right? Then you're just nerve wracked. You're like, well, I don't know. I haven't heard back. I haven't, you know. Yeah.
0: You know, were some- you out there? On foot patrol with them, or were you like back at the the fob or the post accepting nah, them cor- as they came in? Uh nah, corpsmen are different. Corpsmen are on, we're on we're on foot patrol.
1: I, and I, I only oh, know okay. that because I have some army medics, and and I guess the army does it. It's slightly different. Like they have like an aid station. Generally, they're not necessarily yeah. on patrol with them. But we, so yeah, you have fourteen marines. So that's twelve grunts, a platoon sergeant, and a corpsman. That's your standard.
0: Oh, that's, I mean, awesome. I mean, again, hats off to you for doing that. That's so you were in the shit, man. Right. Not just so, in it. You were no, in it. <laughs> right.
1: It's just a straight up grunt with medical ability. Yeah, and I don't yeah, think and people what do you, realize that. And that's okay. I don't have some kind of like pride ego. I'm proud of myself, you know, but I, I don't think people necessarily understand the magnitude being a Navy corpsman is the no
0: shit real deal. That's what I'll tell yeah. people, you know, dude, I'm proud of you. So I'm, that's awesome. So that's really cool. I, now, so you're out there, what are you actually carrying with you? So can you kind of talk about just the equipment differences between your normal grunt and, and you? Yeah, so your normal
1: grunt, you. so <laughs> I had this thing, right, where I was like, hey, Geneva Conventions, blah, 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 I'm going to carry this M9 because that's what you're supposed to do, right? And And then after being out in some, you know firefight scenarios I felt so helpless I'm like this is dog shit right here I'm not cool with this at all and uh they're like uh, carrying, carrying the m9 or yeah that's all I not, had you know and it's it it's not like, good enough okay well yeah because like it, it's meant to be a defensive weapon right and it yeah. is but you're like <laughs> it, it's not a good feeling right because you're in a fight and you're unarmed essentially is what it is and I'm like okay I'm not I am not cool with this at all so then it was like I went through this phase where I'm like yeah, I'll get the M16, right? And then I was like, well, I'll carry, you know, 6 mags, 8 mags, ten you know, 10 mags later. <laughs> the more shit I could get, the, the better I felt. And then it was like, well, carried a Mossberg 500 at one time because you're like, well, that's a defensive weapon. You're allowed to have that. So, yeah, the more stuff I could have, uh, the better I felt. So, I would carry literally the same. They carried more rounds than I did, uh, even at 10 mags. I believe they carried 300 and then like, I think the machine gunners or your, your saw gunners would run 500 or a thousand. But uh, it, even then, like if I wasn't necessarily running and gunning, right, I, I'll throw mags out or you know what I mean? Because you, you, your job's a little different. So I, I carried all, as much of that stuff as I could. And then I also carried a, a big med pack, which got... You know, it had everything, you know, the BVM, the innovation kit battlefield, chest tubes, like, you know, the works. And after, like, say, three or four casualties, it got stripped down into, like, roller gauze. And you know what I mean? Because it wasn't about, it, like, tourniquets are, like, the go-to for everything. And roller gauze. And that fixes everything on a battlefield as far as I'm concerned. Uh, And that's one of those things you you just kind of learn from experience, right? You're like, man, I'm probably not going to use this. And, you know, some of that stuff, it's like, well, we'll carry it just in case. But you you can't medevac in a city. So we would call in a track, would come pick them up, track would take them to, you know, somewhere where they could get them on a uh, a helo. so mm-hmm. our whole system was like way different. And, and, and what's if,
0: a track? Is that just a tank or is that some sort of armored vehicle? So tracks, vehicle?
1: well, tracks are the um, AAVs and, and amphibious assault, assault vehicles. And okay. they're not bulletproof. They're not blast proof. They are not meant to do anything except do amphibious landings. But that's the Marine Corps way, you know. Uh,
0: just do more with less. And that's what we got. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, we got the greatest guys in the world. We don't need the greatest equipment. Right. And you're like, I don't know if it works that way, but right. okay. but So yeah, so great. I would just carry the basics
1: because they would have like another corpsman on like a QRF, which, you know, quick reaction force who would be on that track. So if he needed something additional, they would be aware of it because we'd have been called back, right? Hey, you know, he's got, you know, sucking chest wound or what. And, and, you know, we would have had like one, but if you had like three or something, and that would have been some extraordinary kit, you know what i mean? You just kind of go with what you like we're just real world experience, right? There's no substitute
0: yeah. for that ever. So you didn't have a whole lot of <laughs> dictation about what you had to carry. You probably had like a, some sort of base checklist, but a lot of it was <laughs> just experience, trial and error.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the Marines love you. And uh, it, every platoon sergeant was a little different in how they would make you do stuff or like your gear checks or... But for the most part, you know, you just kind of let alone, you know, they're not a up your ass type of deal. Like, hey, let me see your med bag. It, you know, then just kind of like in passing, hey, you, you got, you know, you're good. Have you, you know, you went out on patrol, you had, you know, two casualties, you good, you restocked, you, you know what I mean? Just kind of like reminder stuff. But yeah, And, you know, I had great leadership, but yeah, nobody was really uh, on you about what you did and didn't carry. They just kind of left it to you. And you just get, like I said, like a friendly reminder at most, in my experience.
0: And so your mission mainly was to walk (laughs) through the city on foot patrol, I, I guess, providing security for a certain area. Like what was your most of your missions like? So the city was swept and cleared for
1: weapons, right? Okay. which was like a, a whole push of the city uh, door to door and, you know, uh, everything in the city, graveyards, Palm groves. I was right there on the Euphrates and, the, you know, they they would find caches and, de- you know, detonate in place. Um, and then once that is done, then it's just about like the, like peacekeeping, right? Where you're, you're trying to, you know, keep the bad guys out. You know, you try to push them in mm. and get a fight and then just kind of keep them out. It, I guess is the thought process and so so for us we were like pretty much anywhere on the Euphrates uh and it's if it's a city on the Euphrates I've
0: probably been there yeah yeah probably flown over it I did a lot of stuff over uh, uh, Fallujah Ramadi out there kind of west of Baghdad um, yeah a little bit north of there as well so I I was never out in the ground so I don't know what, what it was like there, but how were you received by the locals? I mean, were you identified as a medic? So would they look at you differently or did you look like, like any other grunt? So the only
1: ident- the only way that you would know any difference, cause like, you, you know, your radio operator would have like a backpack ish and sometimes other guys would have backpack ish things. So I did have a backpack, but I had a Caduceus on, you know, on the collar. And that's the only thing that designates you any different. And the yeah. thing is, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was the new guy, the boot, you know, and it was like, hey, uh, you know, Geneva Conventions, you would wear all this shit. And they're like, dude, I wouldn't wear none of that. <laughs> so that's yeah. what it quickly became, you know, you just tuck everything. You don't, you know, and uh, as now a medic... Why- I, I don't know. You, you know, you just Sorry. think about like uh, it is very demoralizing to to shoot leadership. It's demoralizing to kill your medic. It's demor- So anybody who's aware oh. of that, right? It it because yeah. it's. I don't want to. I don't want to say it's worse, right? But it. it you know. It's considered yeah. more demoralizing.
0: No, I get it. I get. It. Okay, so well, that makes sense. Yeah, that's the other thing. Is that it, these? You know, we need the G- Geneva Conventions and the laws of war. Sure. And we should definitely apply by. A, a, abide by them but <laughs> right. at the same time, you can't be stupid right you know when those rules are putting you in danger right i didn't think about that i would think that you know any upstanding person would not want to kill a medic but then again we're not fighting upstanding people right and they're gonna and, go like how can we hurt them the most right. and What's yeah the most taking out a medic oh dude yeah so you had a target on your back like almost literally yeah that's uh that sucks dude so how uh so, can you kind of describe an experience? Because I know you you dealt with PTSD afterwards. Sure, and, you know things were building. was it more of a build up to that, or was there like a moment or a, a mission where? I mean, how would you? How did yeah? You kind of get there? I, I think the thing is like
1: traumatic shit happens like all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, honestly, you don't really you don't really have time to process any of it. And yeah. man, I I can tell you for sure there there was. Like, the bucket was full, like, over full. And then uh, I had that one event, man, and it just – it's like everything crumbled after that. You know what I mean? It, it was like, yeah, I'm done. Um, I and, mean, of course, yeah. you don't ever throw in the towel, man. You just kind of – you okay. just gut yeah. it out, man, and you do what you got to do. And I'm like, hey, yeah. we'll figure it out on the backside or it'll go away or, you, you know, you – because you don't – it's one of those things, man. You don't know until you know.
0: Yeah. No, I get it. I I've got a – uh a- <clears throat> good friend who's been through or you know he still kind of battles that pts ptsd however you want to describe it some people so so i had another guest who had uh, ptsd he hates calling it d he's like look it's it's post-traumatic stress because i don't like to look at it as a disorder because what i went through you would be abnormal if you did not feel this way so he was like look if any human being goes through this at some point things are going to, you know, you're going to hit your right. limit. I mean, we do you're that gonna physically, have some baggage, you, you right. break down, you're mentally, you're going to, you would not be, if you're, unless you're a psychopath, you know, you're going to hit a limit. And so sure. he was like big on calling it PTS. I still say PTSD when I'm around most people, but anyway, but the point being that, you know, it's not disorder, it's not, there's nothing wrong with you. It's your, it's a natural reaction to the amount of shit you had to deal with. So right. um, that's the way I look at it, but yeah, go ahead. We're, we're no, and yeah, something. I, yeah,
1: I yeah. get that too. I, and I try to, uh, you know, I have that conversation. You know, it's interesting when you, because there's severities, right? How well you cope, how well you don't cope. And, you know, when I started dating my wife, that was, it was something that had to be talked about, right? Because I have, it's been 17 years and I still have nightmares, like horrendous nightmares. And so... Yeah. It's like you, you can't really start a relationship with somebody without, you know, you don't want to open a vein and run them off. But they, I mean, there certain things they need to know. It's like, hey, we're going to sleep in the same bed. Like, uh, yeah, just so you know, I'll wake up screaming. Nope, no need to be alarmed, you know, or, or whatever it is. So, yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about it, you don't have to if you don't want to. But was there an event that you said there was uh, or was it more of a buildup of things? I mean, how much so, detail do you want to get into?
1: Uh, I try to be as open as possible, and and because I think it's important. Uh, Because if you don't, I think people are really big on judging pains and like what you know what I mean. Like some people comparing pains, right? And it's like, hey, it doesn't doesn't really work. Anything like that? Like uh, I think at FOB hit, we had like one month. It was like uh, this could be entirely wrong, but I'm fairly certain. It was over 100 rounds of IDF. And that stuff just felt fairly normal, you know? And man, those mortars are I, no
0: shit. I mean, they I'm rocked. sorry, well, 100 rounds of IDF, what is that? You, uh, I, indirect I fire. I'm not oh, uh, 100 times where there was indirect fire. Right, okay. where,
1: where we just had incoming, just mortars, you know, okay. the big 120s, 120 millimeters, and they're just massive. They rock, they, you know, they they shred yeah. vehicles. They sh- like, They're no shit, right? And that was just a normal this just happened all the time, you know? Yeah. And so like, if that fucked you up, it, I, mean, I get it. it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and there are other people who are like, nah, man, this stuff just, you know, it happens all the time. And it's like, yeah, it starts to feel normal, but that's the problem, right? It's not normal. There's nothing normal about it.
0: Yeah. But, just the impact of the blast. Like, even though you may not be right. seeing blood and guts, but you're, if you're constantly getting that startle going, right. it's going to fuck with your brain <laughs> for sure. You know? So it's so. So I think you make a good point that trying to compare incidents, like oh, I saw somebody get shot and you didn't. What's like, well, yeah, dude, it, you know, it, I had all this going on. It's just a different thing. So yeah. So
1: yeah. So I had the IDF, and yeah, it just kind of became normal. I had two. Like we had. So I was a kilo company guy, and, and you know, we also had India company and Lima company. And in August, Lima got hit super hard. On August first, we lost. They lost six man sniper team was ambushed and killed. And then part of the recovery to, to get those guys back uh, a track exploded and killed 14 people inside. Wow. So, you know, not directly in my wheelhouse or anything, but that's, that is, that's your crew. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're on your team. Yeah. And man, it, that just soul crushing, right? That hurts, you know? And, And there were just, You know, it's like that slow, like I said, you know, you got IDF, you got firefights, you got guys getting just kind of messed up, you got traumatic amputations, you got, you know, this whole squad of Marines that just got wiped out. And, you know, I'm an empathic person, so it's like, man, it's just ache for those guys, you know, like like what I feel is absolutely nothing compared to, you know, what it's like, you know, can't even begin to imagine that nightmare. But, you know, uh, September 4th, uh, they had shot... Some mortars, nothing new. But they had hit uh, a house and a civilian, and I, uh, I tried to care for a little girl that I lost, and that that was it. It was like, man, the bucket was just full. Yeah.
0: Oh, <clears throat> dude, yeah. I. That's that was it. Understandable. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, so it's kind of a buildup, and then you know, at yeah, that you point, just, you're like, all
1: right, just I've just seen enough, enough yeah. you know. And, and, you know, I I had this like, it's crazy to think about it now, but I had this like shame, like I felt like, like my Marines would be upset or mad at me or people would be upset and mad at me because um, like, why do you care about some local girl, you know? And it's like, man, that's, you know, I I had these weird, (laughs) you know what I mean? All that stigma stuff, or it's like, oh, you're not a man. And it's like, man, this is just human life. Um, this is a little girl dude. who had nothing to do with just shit luck, shit situation. Just. Yeah. yeah. And I, no, for the I, longest I, I, completely time, I was understand. like,
0: if somebody had asked that to me, I'd be like, what? I'd be like, dude, you're the fucked up one. Like an innocent right. little girl. That, that is going to get everybody. If that got you, you're normal.
1: You're very normal. Right. But I had such a, it was just super hard. And it's funny, like I'll never talk about it and like not get some kind of emotional thing. Sure. But uh, yeah, some of that shit just don't ever wash off, you know?
0: Yeah. No, man, I I completely understand. And so you, you go through that. I mean, how did the unit hold up or I don't know if it was your unit specifically that lost the 14 people, but what is a unit like that? goes through that like so this happens i imagine the commander brings people together and says hey guys this is what happened today i mean did you ever were you ever around when there was that mass casualty event and how do they break the news and what happens to the unit do their missions get canceled or is it just like constantly go get the bodies out keep going so
1: i'm so typically uh I, yeah so it's all just go but that i so uh, there again, you know, I, w- I was not directly into that. That is a that is a very sacred thing. There's uh, that blast was so big; uh, it was on the cover of Time Life magazine. That is a, in, and that changed like Marine Corps history, literally. It, there is, there's a lot of information on it, and I am just not the person to speak on it. You know what I mean? That is okay. I something understand. that is, it's theirs. You know what I mean? And I'm not even yep. going to pretend to.
0: Yeah. You, you don't want to comment. on Right. right. I, I mean, my heart directly hurts, apart hurts it. for it, but that is theirs, you know? Okay. So most, for the most part, then it is just go get the mission done. So you need to have a casualty and they come through, just push, yep. they get injured and or, or they get killed, you do what you can to f- patch them up and then you send them off on the C 130 And then it's just next day is just keep going. And you're like that for, you're there for like six months or nine months at a time. So, what because was that? I was a so,
1: ironically, we started this as a whole combat replacement thing, and and that was the thing. So, I joined them in mid deployment, right? So, I was with them for four or six months. I'm not really sure, because, like I said, everything just runs together. Okay. In the life of a combat replacement, it's like, man, I had four different units in like like a year, you know, but they left and because we had been through so much stuff together, I was with them, like I said, four or six months. When they left, it it was like I've, I further deteriorated, right? Because everything that I had bonded with, everything I was close and knew was gone. You know what I mean? And yeah. I was so fucking happy that those guys got to go home. You know what I mean? I was just ecstatic. But at the same time I had another, you know, six months of shit that I was gonna go get into. And it'll twist you up. It'll mess with you. Because I you know, I love those guys. I still love those guys to this day. Still talk to a lot of those guys. And it is so much like a like a family because when you're that engrossed in in stuff like that, it's a you know, there's no substitute and there's there's nothing quite like it.
0: Well, yeah, and that's, I've seen that many times in the conversations was, I've had with guys, is that it's the loss of family that's the most depressing. And, yeah. and I think they're realizing that, that now with soldiers coming home. You know, we think that PTSD is always some, you know, getting shot at and experiencing some sort of violence, and, and that's why. But, you know, that's part of it. But the other part of it is you, you're losing your family. And it's unlike any other family. Like, I hate to say it, that family is more important than that family. It's just so different. And your, I guess, your real, your blood family, so your wife and your kids and your parents and siblings, like, yeah, they're, you know, very important to me, you know, I guess you could say most important, but it's, and it's a really close tie though when you've got somebody who's been through, you know, literally life and right. death situations with you. Like they, for that moment in time, they probably are closer. Right. But I think that's what causes some of the turmoil coming home. It's like, the guy's comes home or girl and they've now left their, sorry to say their number one family in that moment. And now they're right. kind of going to their number two family and trying to rebuild that. And I think that can cause a lot of conflict. Yeah. And it's probably results. it's you know. a huge deal because you can't like, that's your
1: tribe, right? So when you're talking about it, it's uh there's a certain amount of awareness, right? And it's like, there are people out there who are so close with their significant other or their their family where they can talk about that stuff, right? But I think that's a very limited part of the population, and they're just not comfortable. And I got totally good that. I didn't talk about Iraq for probably 10 years, mm. you know? Yeah, with anybody or just your with, family? With or? anybody. I, I didn't even... I honestly, back. I guess back in those days, I was probably drinking, and every once in a while, I think I would... Uh, Talked to a fellow, uh, you know, Marine, uh, probably completely hammered. And, you know, the bucket's full and that's just how it came out, you know.
0: Yeah. So let's kind of shift into that then. So you get back and you link up with Warrior's Heart. Like Did that happen right away? I mean, I think what you said, 2016 is when you... Oh, so it was actually quite a bit. So you got yes. back from Iraq in 06. <laughs> I'm, lo- I'm looking at the number, the right. timeline here. So you left Iraq in 06. And you didn't graduate Warriors Heart until 2016. Yep. So you had many years. Yeah. Can you say, talk about how just briefly describe kind of your progress when you got home and then finally you're like, I got, I need some
1: help. It's funny. And it's only funny now because, and I know there's a million dudes out there and I hope somebody listens to this and goes, man, I I think I should probably do something different in my life. Uh, it was little things at first, like, I, I was angry. I was a very angry person. I was elevated in everything I did, right? And I thought, well, that's probably just normal and it'll probably go away. I could not, I, I would not sleep like ever, Uh, like two hours and then I'm up and then two hours and I'm up and I'm like, I'm doing like weapons checks and shit at the house. I'm sleeping with boots on because i'm used to like qrf oh, wow. and stuff yeah I, I'm, so i'm like i'm a little bit fucked up but nobody's saying anything you know what i mean I, the, and i think everybody's like hey well, let's give it some time and see what goes away and what you know what i mean
0: yeah were you married at the time were you with uh your were you married who are you living with during that time so yeah uh I know mean, it's a ten-year stretch, so there it might have been. I think you know. I got. I think I got married after. I think there was an engagement, okay. and then I was married after. I, I think. Okay, but you had a significant relationship when yeah. a lot of this was yeah, happening. Okay. Sure. okay, yeah, for sure. Okay.
1: My my mom, she said when she came to pick me up, you know, for the welcome home thing, she said I was just as stiff as a board. Like she knew immediately, like it was just different. Yeah, And honestly, like some of that stuff, it it did subside, right? Like I would, I I got, you know, five hours of sleep and I, you know, I didn't sleep with boots on. And, you know, so it's like, oh, it's getting better, you know, and then it's, you know, you're still having the nightmares and, you know, weeks just turn into to years and you're just kind of oblivious, right? Because it's kind of always been there. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You're like, have I really, uh, has it really been like this for 10 years? You know, it just sneaks up on you. And and the thing is like, so, uh, my father is an alcoholic, right? So, booze to me was like, it's just not what you do, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't a drinker, I never drank but when we got home from Iraq, they're like, hey, we're gonna go out and do all this and uh, we were in a, uh, honestly it's probably a strip club. (laughs) It, because <laughs> okay, it, you know what been i mean do a like, few of my life no, <laughs> right <laughs> I've a know, few. <laughs> i'm a 26 year old with marines but so like, yeah. i'm sure that's where we ended up at some point but i don't know i, I got a fifth of wild turkey that uh, a fellow corpsman of mine uh gave me and he's uh and I, I don't drink it's not my thing i've never done it but i'm in this club right and it's loud there's fucking people everywhere i'm freaking out right i'm like I'm having a panic attack and I'm not aware. uh, You know what I mean? I'm not aware of any of this, right? But I'm freaking out. And they're like, I just, you know, hit some of this. And and so I'm drinking wild turkey. And and it did, you know, I I settled down immediately. It was like calm and I could get through stuff. And I went home. I didn't really think anything of it. So it's not like I just drank that and then just became an alcoholic, Uh, you know, Mm -hmm. because it wasn't. uh, Alcoholism is a slow descent into madness. Yeah. That's a good
0: sad description because that's that's what it is though
1: i took and i took that and i realized that night i could sleep you know so then it was like it it became more and more right where i was like well if i drink a little bit i can go to the grocery store and i'm not such a fucking disaster if i um, drink a little bit i can actually sleep you know And, and this went on for about two years so i wasn't like I was drinking a lot. I don't want to disc- I don't want to make it sound like uh, I was, you know, not a problem. But it it wasn't like, it wasn't like the next part. I'm going to tell you. I, I had some buddies come by, and I was drinking. I don't remember. It's pre mixed margarita, right? And so, uh, that's probably as much as a regular beer, alcohol wise. But I had mm-hmm. two military buddies come over, and I got them a beer a piece. And in the time it took them to finish their beer, I had finished the entire bottle of premixed margarita mix, and and that was f- relatively normal for me, to be honest. Yeah. And uh, you know, my buddy's like, "Hey, man, uh, you ever think you should slow down, or maybe you drink?" Too? You know, he wasn't an asshole about it; He wasn't confrontational. It's just a just a brother that's concerned, you know. And uh, you know, I hadn't really thought about it; didn't really think about it much that night, and and then it. Uh, like somewhere in the next three weeks, I was like the panic kind of set in. I'm like, oh, my God, am I like, I'm like a fucking alcoholic and shit. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm an alcoholic. And I'm like freaking out about it. Right. And I'm like, you know, I don't want that alcoholism in my life. And and so I just stopped drinking. Right. Just quit. No big deal. I didn't believe I was an alcoholic. Didn't really, you know, because I was like, man, alcoholics can't quit. I just quit. It's no big deal. And uh, I stayed sober for like a year or two years. And it was funny because oh. like knowing what I know now, like all the hindsight stuff, uh, it's really obvious because I would like talk to people and I would tell them that story. And they're like, yeah, man, you, you're probably good. You're probably not an alcoholic. And it's like I was just like really trying to find an excuse to get back into drinking. And uh, so I was fairly well convinced that I wasn't an alcoholic. And my wife at the time, I was so high strong, so, you know, I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating. I still have all the mental health problems I had and I have always had I, untreated, completely just running wild. You know, I'm just doing my standard crazy stuff that's become fairly normal to people at this point. And uh, my wife's like, man, I, I wish you could drink, right? And, and which says a lot because I understand that I'm just a very uptight, person right so when you drink it's like well, i can let loose I can be more free and all yeah. those
0: things and sh- i'm it like sucks well, when pe- people say you're better when you're drunk you're like <laughs> right okay that's not the that uh, says a lot capable. right <laughs> yeah, you're like so my real person is not it's not good, it's good, good then, right it makes you want to drink more you're like well damn. right <laughs> yeah. so uh
1: she's i said well we'll, we'll just get a six-pack you know and we'll drink together tonight and it'll be fine and that six-pack uh, turned into a six pack of tall boys by the end of the week which turned into a half a case by the end of the month which turned into a case by the end of two months which turned into like two Jesus. or three two or three cases a day for 10 years.
0: Jesus. Well, I guess
1: oh, I, I guess 8 years if you count the yeah, you know, I guess more like eight. I always say 10 cuz it's like all kind of smashed many, together many but, years,
0: yeah, yeah. And, well, you're drinking yeah. constantly then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would drink and pass
1: out three times a day.
0: Oh, dude. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was a fully functioning alcoholic. I would do the shower beer. I would drink on the way to work. I would it just a slow descent into madness. And it got, it was, <laughs> it had been bad. Y- you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty tough, dude, but it, I don't, it was like, man, I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this. And I remember having so many emotional breakdowns and my mental health was just absolute shit. And I'm, you know, I'm in counseling at this point. I I say trying to get help because there again, like if you're not willing to go into a counselor and just spill your guts and get super vulnerable and like get to the point and talk about all the shit you don't want to talk about, man, you're wasting her time and yours. Yeah, just go, go full force. Yeah. But I felt like I was like, oh, I'm trying to get help. And it's hard when you're like clouded with booze all the time. Like I would drink heavily before I'd go into these appointments. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like I, I don't I don't even want to be here. I don't even want to talk about any of this shit. I don't want I don't want anything to do with any of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, did you wow, that's a lot of drinking. I mean, right? how was your other parts of your health like just your body i would think at some point would just shut down like whatever blood pressure heart i mean that's a lot of beer so i mean i had um and when you're an alcoholic you don't
1: you don't eat you know what i mean you eat to sober up uh so you can drink more and that's about what you'd eat i'm a six foot tall man and i probably weighed 140 pounds and probably 20 of that was straight up uh like uh, beer belly because, you know, it's like all the carbs and the the sugars. And I felt like smash shit every day. Uh, I would sweat just profusely all yeah. the time, just sweating booze out, sweat like uh, the panic attacks were like so much worse because it was like, hey, do I have enough money for booze? I can't get by without booze. I can't, you know, I, my liver and heart and like, you know, they just poor effects on everything. And uh, stuff yeah. that you're just,
0: it's like you're kind of aware of, but not really aware of. Were you in the Army at, or were you in the Navy at this time? Were you mm, no. working in the military? So you were a full-on... civilian. Um, yep. Okay. And how was your, co- how were your coworkers? How was your job scenario working out?
1: So, I, you know, I'm a, I've always been a lone wolf, very much still that way. It's just who I am as a person. I'm very solitary and picky, I've got a small circle. So uh, I was just able to really hide it until it got really bad, right? Because people would, see you could smell it on it and be like, oh, that's just from the night before. Uh, And I think it was just accepted that way, you know, they're like, well, it's just a a vet who's got problems, you know? And I will say this, the company I worked for, they ultimately in the end did me so right, so solid, and they could have I'm sure they could have found ways to fire me and do nothing with me, uh and they didn't okay, um, well that's yeah, good, right, good on them so yeah, and, and it was it's funny because when you're an alcoholic, you get so sneaky with everything, and it's like this big secret, right, but the irony is everybody is aware that you're drunk except you, so you're mm-hmm. not keeping a secret from anybody, <laughs> just you, yeah, but yeah, I was drinking and passing out three times a day. And wow. I had so many uh, breakdowns uh, o-
0: over it. I just felt like I couldn't get out of it. And but I was going to ask, like, so at some point though, you you did eventually bottom out and start figuring things out again. Was it? I asked this before, but was it like a moment or a build-up? Was it a time when you're like, all right, you know, uh, today's the day? Can yeah, it was. It was July
1: 29th. I went oh, out. You got it down. Oh yeah, because I. I'll <laughs> I'm going to tell you a crazy story. Okay. July 29th, I had had my last emotional breakdown. And, you know, I was, I've, you know, been thinking about suicide for five, six years at this point. And, you know, suicides, it's always been scary because it's like, well, what happens? And then eventually, you know, you get to that point where you're like, you know, I would think like, I wish I would just crash this fucking car or drive off this cliff. I wish somebody would run. Like I just, it's like I really had a, a sick mind that just wanted to die, and you know, it's like I the body's fighting to hold on, but it, it got super super rough. And July twenty ninth, I had my last sick and tired of being sick and tired, and I loaded up a nine uh, millimeter pistol and I went out one single round. Went out to the woods, probably about. F- six seven miles. It's like a small patch of woods out in a cornfield. Uh well I think it's a bean field actually. And I was just gonna take my life there and as a shitty high point nine millimeter and a nine millimeter Winchester round. And and I put it in my mouth and I I'm, I'm thinking about it like medically I'm like, I need to really get through the, you know the I don't know. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm going through all the motions, man, and I pulled the trigger and uh and I lost all, all of my shit all at once. The I, I was terrified. And it gives me chills to think about it, it still today. You did at, pull the you pulled the uh, trigger? Oh, oh yeah. And holy shit. It, like like I'm shaking thinking about it because like I'm telling you yeah. everything in my body just, like, froze and and went into this, like, instant regret, and I was, you know, I'm like a fucking crying, drunk mess, like, and I'm not actually sure if any of this has happened or not happened. I I didn't have any more rounds because, I you know, I thought, well, what if a kid finds it? You know, I don't want them to have access to this gun. And and I thought, I got to pull the trigger again. And and I'm going to tell you, I didn't have the fucking balls to do it. Holy shit. So I pulled that round. It had a dent in the primer and everything.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And and I went back to the house, man. I put that round in my pocket. I put the gun on the table and I just started pounding booze, right? Uh, because I had this tremendous amount of shame, fear, guilt, regret. I had just everything at once man. And it's funny because I can still talk about it and it's like, I still feel the shame of it. And this is so long ago and my life is so different, but I was just sick, right? I'm just a sick dude. And that's just nuts, man. But yeah, the the regret and the shame of it all. And it's like, well, let's let's just never mention that to anybody. But I think the truth is like, that's a fucking nuts story, man. And uh, I don't think people get that chance. uh, Obviously. Obviously.
0: Wow. I've never heard that level of, uh, that, that type of scenario before I've heard of people who have attempted suicide, but not, you know, like they jumped off of something that was kind of, I've never heard somebody go into that level where it, there was a 99.999% chance that it actually was going to work. Like you had decided you made the decision and it was, by the grace of God or whoever, whatever. Right. It was like, Oh man, I don't even know how to quite. And, and I'm going to that. I'm going to blow your mind again in a minute. Okay, okay. Yeah. Continue.
1: There was some, there was always something about it. Like I said, I did not have the fucking balls to pull the trigger again I, I, because of the regret, man. And I was so like, just, just unhinged. Yeah. So I went back home I put the gun on the table. I started drinking. I had that round in my pocket. I, I was—I would pass out like in a bed, right? Because I'm like, oh, I'm drunk and tired. I don't know if it was the emotional overload. I don't know if I was overboozed. I don't know. I blacked completely the fuck out. Wife and kids come home. Guns on the table. They find me in the bathroom, passed out. And I don't—I'm not saying shit about it. Everybody's like, you're suicidal. I'm like, nope. You know, she's freaking out, rightfully so. She's calling my mom, she, you know my sister. Everybody's over. They're like, "Hey, you gotta get help," and I'm like, "Yeah, let's get some help." <laughs> and I went to I like mean, I'm,
0: I'm laughing just because
1: I'm like, <laughs> right, right, but that's what it takes, right? Because oh and I think God. I think that's the thing, man. When you're a corman, like you are the help, right? And it just felt like. Good like point who, well, I don't know who to get help from. I don't know how to help myself. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't navigate this. So, I go to I don't know, like Betty Ford or uh one of those like free drug alcohol places. And I'm st- uh, and at this point, man, I have I have roller coastered so far. I don't have a fuck to give, like literally. So they're like Yeah. Do you have like nightmares? Do you have? And I'm like, yep, yep. I want to (laughs) die. Select Um, all, select all. (laughs) Fuck yeah. I I drink too much. Yeah. I've got homicidal and suicidal. I've got it all, you know, and I'm just being straight up honest and I'm feeling like burning, man. I'm feeling like everybody's looking at me and everybody's like, this dude is fucking lost it. And I was half drunk when I got there. Uh, You know, I'm drinking beer on the way to rehab because that's what fucking drunks do. And, you know, I'm like fucking I'm in this lobby fucking freaking out. Uh, I'm, I'm like tearing the fucking counters up. I'm like, and it, you know, it's, it's kind of funny now because there's a dude, dude in there trying to straighten his life out. And he's talking to my sister. He's like, is that your brother? And she's like, yep. And he's like, wow, he's a handful. And she's like, yeah, that's not even that bad. You know, right, and there so you again, were
0: actually like tipping over ta- or You were doing. Yeah. It was just something f- in the a lobby or just fucking f- f- disaster.
1: Uh, just a disaster. And I think I blew like a point four or something which oh which right is like well, holy shit but it's like come to find out that's like standard alcoholism for people right like, oh, like okay. when you've got that yeah. much experience of drinking all the time you pretty much that's you're still functioning breathing it's normal shit and
0: yeah, they're like a lot of, people will die
1: at 0.2
0: and you were 0.4
1: <laughs> right but because of the tolerance right yeah. you get 10 years of yeah. hard drinking and the dude's like we can't take you because the PTSD is too bad so, I wake up the next morning, it's July 30th, right? And I've got this round in my pocket, man, and I've, I'm still thinking about everything. I'm sobering up. I feel like fucking shit. Uh, but I said I wasn't going to drink anymore. So, I didn't. And I remember my kids, like, talking to me and I'm like, baby, not. Nah, I can't. I just can't today. And I'm drinking coffee, I'm eating star mint hard candies, like, I can't fucking think. I'm thinking about everything that's going through, like, it, you know what I mean? It, it is all so fast, so unreal, and and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, did any of that fucking happen? And, I, and, you know, it's like, I've got the round, you know what I mean? I'm looking at it, I'm like, it's definitely got a fucking dent in the primer, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying anything to anybody, and... Man, my my ex wife, she gets my sister, my family. They're calling, and they're calling everywhere, trying to get me somebody to take my insurance, try to get me an inpatient, trying to get me something, some kind of help. Mm. And I am not an active participant in this. I am. I'm just letting them handle it because I am just. You're just exhausted. The only thing I'm thinking about is don't fucking drink. Don't drink. You don't got to do nothing else. Just don't drink. And and I'm a determined person, so like, if I've made up my mind, yeah, if I tell you it's going to rain, you just get the umbrella, guaranteed. So, Mm -hmm. I I knew I had that going for me. We call places and they're like, you know, they'd screen me I'd talk to them for a minute and they're like, well, you know, you really need to go to detox. And I'm like, well, I'm not fucking, I'm not going to detox. They're like, well, you could die. And I'm like, lady, that's fine. You don't understand how okay I am. If I die... Great. And I think about that now, right? Like, Mm. it's like I hurt for that version of me. You know what I mean? I was just so fucking hurt, you know? But, you know, fast forward, like, uh, August 1st, I made it to August 1st. At this point, we've probably called 50 places. And there's nobody's gonna take me, man. There's not help for people like me that my insurance would have.
0: It's because of the PTSD level? Because they're like, we can't deal with that. We could deal with the alcoholism, but not the PTSD combined with it. Was that the problem?
1: Yeah, it's like I needed... So I needed a dual diagnosis clinic. And they needed to be an inpatient clinic. And they needed to take my insurance. Which doesn't sound like that awful of like requirements, right? But I'm going to tell you, I think the final count was like 63 places. And there just was not help. Nobody would take me, and and there were programs, right? And they're like, "Well, it's thirty grand." Okay, well, I don't, I, I don't have fucking thirty grand. I got two kids and a wife, and I I make thirty thousand dollars a year, you know. And, and man, I, I it hit me hard. I went into victim mode. I'm like, I have never asked this fucking country for shit ever, yeah. and I just want help. I just fucking want help. And I was frustrated and, you know, I, I think the wife and kids and, and stuff, they had left the house and I had that, I had that round, man. It's like, I, I'm carrying this thing around and I don't know, I had to know, uh, because I'm telling you, I could not pull that trigger again. And I, I went out in the backyard, I loaded up that one round, I pulled the trigger and it fired.
0: Oh, dude. Yeah. Uh, that's and, Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not um, sure I believe in miracles, but that makes me believe in miracles. Hey, look, I'm not, uh, yeah,
1: see, I'm not a, uh, I'm not that way either, but that whole, like, yeah, look, coincidence, anything that you call a coincidence, I assure you wasn't uh, as by design, and whatever you call that, your God, your universe, your, like, whatever, man, I I don't know, it's something way bigger and greater than us, and you know, uh, that shit's out there, And, and that's just, that's me, and I'm not a I have never been some religious you know person I guess I'm very spiritual these days but back then it was not at all and yeah, man, yeah. I mean I that told me that it's the real deal like yeah but yeah. they they came back and, and you know it's hard on it's hard on everybody you know the uh, wife and I weren't like doing well obviously cuz I spent 10 years as a drunk and you know we're talking divorce and and she's still helping me you know what I mean she could have just abandoned me and I think She had some hope for the marriage after treatment maybe, but we just were so so much better off without each other and we get along great and stuff now, but yeah, we we ultimately did end up divorcing and she had found Warrior's Heart and got me into Warrior's Heart. So Warrior's Heart, she contacted them and it was such a new facility. They had like, like 10 people who had been through the program. Okay. And they didn't take insurance, but they said, hey, we have we have a way to get people in sometimes like outside funding or like grants or, you know, stuff like that. And uh, so, man, it gave me hope. I was so hopeful. I'm like, God, I hope I can go to this place. And we would be in contact with them. I got screened. Well, I wasn't talking to anybody. I was still, you know, feeling shitty because mm-hmm. I haven't drank, you know, but my wife at the time did all of it she took care of it and one day uh they called i believe it was october 15th and they said hey this uh this pri- this private guy uh right he likes to do stuff for veterans he raised the money and you're gonna go to treatment and yeah he called and told me personally that he paid for my treatment and uh went wow. to warrior's heart august 17th i think is when i showed up
0: and well, that was in twenty
1: sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Okay. Okay. And I'm like, I always joke and say I'm the only guy that was sober by the time he went to rehab. Uh, because I'd you know, I, I was so proud. I'm like, I got fifteen days of sobriety, baby. You know, and and it's funny because when you're like a full blown addict like that, you it all of it fucks with you. It's like uh, so I'm driving to Texas, just me and my dog, my service dog dozer. I've got like two changes of clothes. Uh, some books about miracles and shit (laughs) for a newfound (laughs) belief, you know, that I've turned over and, and and, uh, like $150 that my mom gave me to get there. And I didn't look at a map. I didn't, I hadn't slept. I I was still feeling shitty. So I'm like, well, I can't come this day. You know what I mean? I started shooting them with the excuses and it was like, Mm -hmm. because I was just so fucking, you know, when you're drinking to mask anxiety and depression and stuff, all that shit just comes back. And, you know, it's like, fuck man how did i used to do shit like this all the time now i can't i feel so paralyzed like i can't do any of this stuff so mm. I, i'm like you know going through it in my head and i'm like all right i need to fucking sleep today i'm gonna wake up at one o'clock and i'm gonna fucking drive at night because the traffic will be less shitty and blah 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 you know and that's what i did uh so i'm like well i'll be there the 17th and they're like uh okay uh, you know because that's And at the time, like having no experience with addiction or alcoholism, and it's like everybody says shit like that. And you're like, maybe we see them, maybe we don't, you know, because getting help is a real thing. And so, I just, I drove and I I hit Texas, right? From Alabama to Texas. I think it said eight eight hours or 18 hours, I'm sorry. So, I I hit Texas. I'm like, fuck man, I'm, I'm halfway there. I stayed the night with my dog. I got up the next morning when it just started driving to Texas, right? Well, Texas is the fucking size of the US, basically, you know, when you start driving it, you're like, holy shit. I'm like, I've been in Texas for nine days and I'm still not yeah. there. <laughs> so by not looking at a map, it was like, you know, and you can't get there like you got to hit San Antonio, Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, yeah, so like long, long every drive. town. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to fucking lose it. And, and it starts yeah. fucking with you. Right. I'm like, hey, I've already got enough gas to get there and I've got eighty six dollars left. I'm like, you're going to rehab You could just fucking buy a 12 pack. To, to get there yeah. and I'm like nah man I, when I said I I was done you know I had a serious fight with myself just was battling yeah, so I'm like decision. nah we're not doing that I said it's not happening and I checked in and you know like I was a scary guy not because like I'm just scary but I, I was I wasn't well I just really wasn't well and uh, it's so funny because you know Josh and Lisa Lant, like the, you know Warriors Heart is my family and I, I talk to all of them all the time still. Mm. But he said, "Man, I didn't know if we were going to be able to help you." He said it was. No. Oh,
0: yeah, you were that it bad. It was pretty rough.
1: Damn. And you know, of course, he didn't know at the time. But I'm like, "Fuck, man! I already know miracles are real, so there's got to be hope." You know what I mean? So, yeah, uh, I checked in and, and I went through the program. It's and like uh,
0: 42 days I think for the full yeah, the full program. Yeah. And, and I they have like out outpatient stuff as well. Like there's a very it's a very thorough yes. program. Yeah.
1: So back when I went through it was a 28 day and you could extend. So okay. obviously nobody gets better in 28 days, which is why it is the way it is now. So I signed an extension, and they're like, "Hey, do you have money to extend?" And I'm like, "No." Oh, course not you know i didn't have any money when i got here so, you know some stranger paid for my shit and i'm like hey look i will i'm like it's income tax season i'll fucking uh you can have that when it comes in i'll write you a mm-hmm. promissory you note. Know? i'll you know i'll do anything i, I just don't have it you, you know what i mean you want me to fucking dig ditches out here for you like what you just tell me like what i can do and they're okay. like well we'll see what we can do and you know there again they found the money And so I did stay the 40, 42 or 48 days. I don't even remember what it was. But after that, it's like I had some footing, right? I I had like 60 days sober. But the truth is like that is nothing. And, you you know, when you're so boozed out all the time and now you're like forced to feel all this stuff, like it's like so you feel better physically and stuff. But like mentally, you're kind of struggling more than you were. Because you kind of had, boo- right. had the booze as a crutch. So it's like, man, you still had some shitty stuff. Mm-mm. And, uh, and I, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have, uh, I, I knew that I could not go back home uh, with the, the relationship the way it was with the wife. I just knew I wasn't going to make it. And I didn't have anywhere else to go. And I didn't have any money. You know, work had me on short-term disability. But that's paying for the wife and kids. You know, which is fine, you know, not having to worry about if they, you know, if they're okay or not it's big. And so I I had a talk with Josh Lannon. I said, hey, man, I I know it's not your problem, but uh, I don't have anywhere to go. I got nothing. You know, I don't got any money. I'm like, is there some kind of uh, something we can do, like some kind of. You know, so I can do like a sober living or something, and there wasn't a sober living program at the time,
0: yeah, or like some kind of employment arrangement type something of thing right and, and right and you stay can't,
1: in. right, okay. and you can't work for Warriors' Heart because you're a patient and you got to be like not a patient for two years, so there was like things oh, right okay. yeah, so okay. Josh is like, yeah, man, we'll figure something out and, and I don't know this man personally. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. He doesn't owe me shit. And they <laughs> he doesn't it doesn't really... They made it work. Yeah. He made it work. And so I was... I had a service dog because it was like one of those things, you know, I'm in counseling and they're like, well, have you tried a service dog? Have you tried to?" And, you know, I was like, yeah, I'll try anything, you know? Because there was a point, mm-hmm. you know, I was trying. I just... Wasn't necessarily the best effort, but I worked at those kennels every day. Like I was fascinated with the dog stuff, and you know I'd had Dozer for like a couple years, and I never really like attached or bonded to him. But like, you know, when I got cleaned up and and you know kind of got some thoughts right, like I it like really it just hit me all at once. I was like, man, I love this fucking dog. You know what I mean? This dog yeah. has been with me for everything. He's been with me for this fucking car ride. He's seen me at my fucking literal worst. He is like, yeah. it's me and this dog, you know? And um, I came to that realization and it's like, he wasn't necessarily the best trained dog when I got him. And I'm not going to say where I got him from because I think they do good work. I think between yeah. my mental health and everything, I'm not going to say who's to blame, right? Could Very easily could have been me, but he, uh, I learned all this stuff about training dogs and I was just fascinated and I I was like, man, I want to make my dog better and do more. And so I worked at the kennels and at the time the kennels was run by a subcontractor, which led to, oh, you can work for them because they're not warrior's heart and it's something you're already versed in. And, and we made it work.
0: Oh, Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, uh, Well, I I interviewed Bob Bryant from Mission Canine Rescue a couple episodes ago. Did you work with them or are they a different organization? Is there any relationship there? It's probably a... I'm not sure about the... Yeah, it's been through. There's so many of
1: those programs and they're... Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so... It's just one of many. Yeah, Warrior's Heart now has its own. It's all just Warrior's Heart because the contract had ended and then they just went on to their own. So when they went on to do their own, Josh had called me and I was sitting in Nashville traffic, I remember... And he's like, hey, do you want to come back and, and do the startup for our canine program? And I'm like, are you serious? Okay. And I'm like, yeah, yeah man, of course I'll do it. Uh, you know, yeah. I'd be freaking honored to do it. And I did. I, I went back, got it started up and running. And, you know, like anything, man, <laughs> I had some struggles. A struggle bust yeah. for a while, but it's super great now. Uh, you know, we've got the kinks and stuff worked out.
0: So they provide service dogs for veterans what 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 does the canine program so so yes
1: so you can go and get a full-blown service dog or an emotional support animal right so Mm. the the funny thing is dogs you you wouldn't think about it but like when you talk about canines and their different drives and like their way of their thinking like dogs that love a, a ball right and they're in predatory drive like they are addicted to that ball so there, there's like these super crazy parallels between like training a dog that they, the clients get to see and their own personal addictions. Right. And it also gives them like a, like a judgment free, unconditional loving companion. Right. That mm-hmm. they're able to use for a, a tool. Right. So if you have anxiety intervention, nightmare intervention. If you have prosthetics, you need bracing, you, you know, a lot of different people need a lot of different things. And it's just such a good environment to provide exactly that.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, that's awesome, man. So just uh, to kind of step through here, there's uh, also a, a Warriors Anonymous program. Can you so- describe that? So I am a super not well-versed in that, because like I said, I've always okay. been kind of
1: this, the lone wolf. So, but I, I do have information on it. It is, uh, it is AA-based program, which is, you know, the Alcoholics Anonymous, except for it's specific to uh, the veterans, right? Veterans and first responders. So... One of the major advantages to Warrior's Heart is you're going to sit down with veterans and first responders, right? So, you feel more at home. A lot of times, like, if you're law enforcement and you got, like, a drug problem, like, you could go to, like, a state-run rehab, right? And all of a sudden, you're in a a fucking group with a dude you arrested six weeks ago. You know what I mean? So, how uncomfortable and weird is... there's And there's a lot of scenarios like that, you know, where it's like... Yeah. You you just kind of feel more at home when it's... That environment, right? So, yeah, Warriors Anonymous is essentially that, you know. So you don't have these, you know. It's not that regular AA doesn't work or isn't good. It's just that little extra comfort, you know.
0: Yeah, you, you get the the family. Right. atmosphere more than you would at a, at another program and they're okay that makes right. that makes and, sense
1: and that's super like that's a super crazy good thing that they did right because it was like everybody's like man i just need warriors heart i just need warriors heart you know and it's like these guys would go home and they'd struggle and like i just need warriors heart and then uh, i'm not sure where it came from or where it was founded but it was like hey you can take warriors anonymous to your area and you can run it You know what I mean? You you can do the Zoom meetings. You can do, you know what I mean? And now you have, you you like make your own warrior's heart, you know, essentially.
0: So it's a super cool program. So the main facility is in outside San Antonio? Yeah, it's in um, Bandera, Texas, about 45 minutes
1: from San Antonio.
0: Okay. And is that the only one or are there others around the country?
1: So I know they were talking about satelliting out, but the medical licenses state to state and all that stuff is like really complicated. So I don't know where that's at but as it stands yeah currently that is the only one.
0: Okay. Well, it's centrally located so you know people sure. from all over the country could get to it and fairly short flight I guess or drive who knows but although it is Texas. Well that's a that's a man that's a fascinating story. So I you got some great you know topics here on your list here but I like this one you know about getting help you know when you're what's advice you would give to veterans who are afraid to get <laughs> help? Cause I know you talked about the shame and that's a very serious, powerful emotion that prevents us from acting. What mm-hmm. advice do you have for guys?
1: Help is like, it's that funny thing. Like if you sit around and you think, do I need help? The answer is yes. Hmm. If you think that some of this stuff is just going to work itself out. You're wrong. And, and you know, it's so funny because, like, we're such prideful and egotistical people, like, just in, in nature, right? But, like, when was the last time your ego did anything positive for you ever? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's so hard to let go, but you just have to. You have to get the help. If you just do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you always got. You've you got to take that scary-ass step, and that's the hardest part. If if you can make it through the gate, I promise you the rest is easy. you just got to get through the gate. That is the hardest part because there's always an excuse. Well, I'm not going to see my kids for 40 days. I'm not going to see my wife for 40 days. Uh, what am I going to do about work? What am I going to... And the the truth is, what are you, you going to do? Drink yourself to death? Like, that's your other option. This shit will kill you. This is, you know, this is the real deal. I, I think statistically, you're looking at like, if you have mental health problems, I think your suicide rates are like 40, 40% or something like that. And if you have an addiction on top of mental health, your suicide rate like doubles. It's like 80, 86%. Right. So, so, if you're not out there just killing yourself, then you're out there, you're gonna OD, uh, alcohol, alcoholism is not a way to die. It's horrific. It, it, you know, the stomach cancers, the liver failure, like organ failure, kidney, renal failure. Yeah. It, it's not good. Yeah. It's and, not like
0: you just drink and pass out and die. It's like some that's it. bad disease that can take over. I mean, it, it's, you die from something else caused right. by the alcoholism. Yeah. Or,
1: or you know, um, I think. You know the, even esophageal erosion, right where people like rupture and bleed to death, choke to death on their own blood, like there's a a ton of horrific things that i and I think yeah. alcoholism like affects like forty forty four percent of the world, right so like this is not some secret, it's like a dirty little secret that nobody talks about it's like
0: there's tons yeah. of people with alcohol problems, yeah. Yeah. And people who are kind of on the edge and yeah, alcohol right. is just a very easy thing yeah. for us to go to. And I think it's a very normal way to deal with, I mean, I hate to say normal, but it's a very common way to deal yeah. with pain. Like if you want to take the edge off, have a drink. Socially acceptable. And yeah. We don't really think of like, oh, it's just alcohol. You know, he's not in that much danger. You can survive right. that for a long time. It's not like opioids or fentanyl where you could die right. immediately. So we kind of like, just maybe don't think about it too much, but it can really uh, destroy. It's a slow, what'd you yeah. say? It's a slow descent into chaos? Yeah, slow, or a descent, slow descent, descent into madness, man. man. It, it will kill
1: your family life. It, it'll kill your, it'll kill everything it's it insidious. touches.
0: It's yeah, how it's it is. It's uh, You know, I also think a, a big thing holding people back is they, we talked about the comparing pain part where they say, yeah. well, maybe don't my pain it's good is good enough, not quite right? as bad. or Yeah, or I didn't experience quite as bad a thing as that other soldier did. And I don't think that I really should be going to this thing I can figure out on my own. And it's like, well, maybe just take the step anyway and see what happens. <laughs> right. So that's probably the better way to, to do it.
1: You know, it, I think wait, it, it, yeah. that is a big thing. I, I remember sitting down at warrior's heart and, and you know, I'm just vomiting to people because I'm so full. Right. And it's like, Oh, I can talk to this person. I can talk to this person. And, and I remember sitting down with a guy and like, kind of just kind of covering like the tops of some stuff, you know? And, uh, he goes, Man, after hearing that story, I don't even know if I need to be here. And I was like, in an odd way, that probably made you feel better. (laughs) I'm like, well, I mean, it made me feel bad. And I'm like, well, it's not like that. You know what I mean? It's like, man, pain is pain. Like, who, you know, you just have to get over that. Like, you know who's a shitty judge of everything in your life? Uh, You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) we over or under stuff all the time. And, um, yeah. Like I look at, I, I used to be a real negative self talker, right? And it's like, God, the way I talk to myself, I would never, like, if you wouldn't talk to your kids that way, then don't talk to yourself that way. It, you know, it's the yeah. same thing with like getting help or like, you know, oh, just man up. It's like, well, how's manning up been working for you? You, you know what I mean? Like,
0: <laughs> you can man up when you like twitch you your man up and get can. through
1: the <laughs> gate. You know what I mean? That's manning up because that That's shit's true. hard, man. Uh, You know, being vulnerable and saying I need help, like, and. and like, it's not. It is so hard. Like, like tomorrow, if you interact with five people, ask three of those people for help. And it doesn't even have to be major. Ask them to help you load your groceries or uh, pick up trash or, or whatever, right? Asking for help is just difficult. So when you're yeah. talking about something with some actual weight and magnitude, it is hard. But, yeah. man, it's the only way. It's not just going to fix. you got to get through that gate. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I think just sharing your story is impact is probably already impacted so many people. And I mean, I just, yeah, I mean, shit it's impacted me, man. I'm sitting here with my picking my job off the floor, listening to it. And, uh, I'm happy to see that you're making progress and now you're part of the board at warrior's heart. And <laughs> right, you're, but- now you're, you've made a whole living out of helping people through this. Yeah. So, and there's a lot of people out there who need help. And it's not just veterans. It's like you said, first responders. I've got a buddy who's a, he's a a firefighter and he's never been in a, you know, he's never deployed to combat, but some of the stories he has are like combat level stories. I mean, he's helping people with like slit throats and people dying in his arms and helping babies that are dying. I mean, it's like, Oh my God, you've seen more combat than 95% of the soldiers out there. And so it's not just, it's not just your veterans too, man. It's anybody who's been in those dangerous situations. And uh, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of guys, dude. It's a lot of guys because we don't communicate well. And we, you know, emotions are just, we don't, we're confused. So it affects a lot of dudes, you know? So, and it, and it can come out in the end in a very bad way. And my God, with your story, holy cow. And the one, this is one, I think there's so many positive things to hear from your story, but I, I, you did say how you had that instant regret as soon as like it, you found out that it didn't happen. You're still alive. Oh, my God. I actually heard the, sim, the exact same thing from um, another person. This was on TV. as a TV show I watched. It wasn't even a person that I knew. Mm-hmm. But they interviewed a guy um, who had jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. And he said as soon as he took the leap, he instantly regretted it and wished he hadn't. And he ended up falling all the way to the water, hit the water. And uh, he actually didn't. Well, he didn't die. Obviously, he he lived to tell the story. <laughs> hit the water. A boat come came to pick him up, and the guys were like, "I think it was like the lifeguards or whatever." And they're like, "Son, you are one of like a hundred that makes it. I guess like one out of a hundred will actually make it when they. It's just high enough to where it doesn't crazy. always kill you." But he had, he said the same thing. He just said that it was the instant regret. And I've had a couple of friends commit suicide you know, quote unquote successfully. And it's just, that's always kind of what was in in my mind is like, as dark as it gets, every person who I've known who's actually made the step, you're now the second one has said that it was instantly regret. They wish they hadn't done it. And they're so happy that they had the second chance. And so, you know, give it 24 hours. If whatever you feel, just give it a day. I think that's the best advice is like, why today? You know, sui- I had another person who in interviewed interviewed that said, suicide's always an option, so why not just put it off till tomorrow? And just right. keep saying that to yourself. Just keep going. Why not tomorrow? It's always an option. Why not tomorrow? And then eventually you're like, oh, okay. You know, there is light at the end of this tunnel and there's plenty of people who are going to wrap their arms around me and, and rescue me and, and help me through it. And hell, just by opening up, they might be better off for having allowed to be, you know, allow that you allowed them to help you. That might make them better off. Right. We all get better off. So it's a long-winded answer.
1: (laughs) Well, and you know, what's crazy about that too. Like for people who think about suicide. So, I mean, I thought about ending my life for, like I said, literal years. So psychologically, you know, that um, neurons that wire together, that fire together, wire together. So even with my experiences with it and and it's, you know, it's been 17 years now, I, I still have suicidal ideations. Which is crazy, right? But that's a result of, you know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. like when that stuff happens, man, I'm on the phone, I'm talking to somebody, I'm walking, I'm doing what I need to do because you got to unwire it or you'll always think yeah. like that. And, and I'm telling you, I regretted it. I'm telling you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah,
0: you're <laughs> living just proof. literally living hard.
1: Proof. It's just hard. You, you know what I mean? It's just
0: hard. Yeah. Wow. Uh well, will, any last I know you man, we this has been fantastic. Thanks so much for telling your story. It's blown me away. I will uh is there, how do we follow you and is there a way to kind of, you know, follow you or Warrior's Heart? Do you have a way of like a website or a way we can kind of get a hold of you or
1: So, there there is the uh the Warrior's Heart Foundation, which is I'm a chairman of the board and I just kind of you know, that's one of those wild things. It's like, I went from a patient to now I'm <laughs> chairman of the board of this organization. Yeah, you're running it. Well, my uh, Teddy Lanier is the executive director of the board. So, but he is a great friend of mine. He's also a former patient. But I, I believe the the website is warriorsheartfoundation.org. Mm-hmm. And you can contact via email. It's, you know, Black at warriorsheartfoundation.org. Okay. I. Uh, you know, I don't have any kind of a following. I am a super simple, chill person. I it's known that I really <laughs> yeah. hate doing these things because I just yeah. hate talking about myself. And but I understand the importance of it, right? The yeah. it, it means something because I am a it guy does. who just came from nothing. I didn't have the money and now I literally sit and review people and give them money to get treatment. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Uh, what an honor you're saving
0: lives, man. Yeah. You save lives in the military. You're saving lives post-military. You were given a, a second chance and you're using it to the best that anybody can. And so, uh, yeah, man, I'm going to definitely, uh, I'll donate. I'm going to follow warrior's heart and, uh, man, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for sharing that story. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, anytime, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's so important. Yeah, it is. Uh, Any any last messages for folks before we kind of sign off?
1: No, I just, you know, my big thing is just get help. And uh, it's, you know, if it's money, if it's some of the things that help and involves that I think people underestimate is like, so I had a family, you know, wife, sister, dad, mom, all in my life, right? And I sobered up and I changed my life. I changed everything. And that's really hard to do. It's time away from your kids. It's hard-ass work. You, you got to find out who you are and, and what you like because the booze and the drugs just takes away who you are as a person. It just slowly strips it all away. And so, you would think now that I'm like better, like I've had this fantastic family life and I do, except for it's not with my mom, my dad, none of my blood family speaks with me. But that's what happens when you're sick and they're sick and you heal. Unexpected Mm -hmm. things like that happen and you just really have to take it all in stride. None of it's tragic or easy or it's just life. It's all just hard. And I am not some special dude. I'm not some, I, I am just as regular as anything. I am so simple and I did it. So I know anybody can do it. I know that. I believe that a hundred percent. If you have any amount of hope, it will get you to that next level. Always.
0: Wow. Well, uh, well Thanks again, man. We'll be in contact. Okay. I will. Uh, I'll let you know when we put this up, and hopefully, we can share it and uh, impact more people in a positive manner, and get more people going to Warriors Heart or whatever organization they can to get whatever the help they, they need. I mean, you. Yeah. You've. Uh, you got to. Second uh, chance, and you've and you're going the right direction. And you're going to have a, you know, help so many other people do the same thing. So, uh, I appreciate you having me. All right, thanks, man. That mm-hmm. is it, my friends. Thank you for listening, and please remember your five point checklist from the beginning of the show. That is rate, comment, subscribe, email, and share. So go to the bottom of that podcast app, give me a five star rating and friendly comment. Next, go to gregcrino.com, scroll to the bottom, and subscribe to my newsletter. Email your friends and tell them to do the same. Please share the show on social media. So I've got a great Carino show page on Instagram and Facebook, and I have uh, my personal page on LinkedIn. So share those shows on social media. And finally, if you want to contact me, if you have an idea for the show or you just have some feedback, please email me at show at gmail.com. Take care and see you on the next episode.